One of the things that we know is happening on a more consistent basis in 2020 is that a lot of us are watching more movies than we've watched in a while. Uh, I know for, for some of us, we, we've gone down the rabbit hole of watching the movies that we know, you know, are reminding of things that are happening in our world right now. I know when, when COVID-19 first started, I resisted the temptation for about two weeks, but then I went down the rabbit hole. I watched Contagion, you know, I watched uh, Outbreak. I watched all the movies they say you shouldn't watch. Um, but then somewhere along the way, I, I thought of another movie that I think as we've gone throughout 2020, not just related to coronavirus, has related to my experience in so many ways. Uh, Maybe it's a surprising one. It's been almost 20 years since it came out, but it's the movie Castaway with Tom Hanks. It's one of his best performances of his career. He literally carries the movie. The bulk of the movie is just him on the screen with no one else. And if, if it's been a while since you saw the movie or you don't remember the movie, Tom Hanks works for FedEx and he's flying across the Pacific Ocean to solve a logistics problem for them when his plane goes down and he's the only survivor stranded on a remote island in the middle of the ocean. He goes through all the things that one might expect somebody to go through during that time. And at one point, he, he cuts open his hand, and in frustration, he yells and he screams. And he grabs a, a, a volleyball uh, to try to, like, stop the blood flow. And the blood on his hand creates this handprint that takes on a life of its own. He draws a little face on that handprint, and that handprint becomes a character in the movie, a central character named Wilson. And throughout the movie, Tom Hanks interacts with this volleyball and this face as if it's a real person. He talks to Wilson, he bemoans things to Wilson, he asks Wilson questions. And then eventually Tom Hanks decides that he wants to make a run for it and he builds a raft and he attempts to get off the island and he takes Wilson with him. And then an iconic moment in the film happens. It's maybe the most emotional movie in, emotional moment in the entire movie. And I want you to watch that clip right now. Wilson! Wilson!
Wilson! Wilson! I'm sorry! I'm sorry, Wilson! Wilson, I'm sorry! I'm sorry! Wilson! I can't! Wilson! It's an iconic moment. It's an emotional moment. And I never thought that I would find myself crying over a volleyball, but I was. You see, that moment that Tom Hanks realizes that Wilson has floated away and that he can't safely reach Wilson without costing himself his own safety uh, is, is a, a, <laughs> it's an overwhelming moment if you've been watching the whole movie. And yet I think that we can relate to the loneliness and the isolation that Tom Hanks experiences in that movie. We can relate to having somebody or something that we counted on to carry us through a dark and difficult season being lost. Maybe there was one person that we were close to and they moved away. Maybe there was one person that we thought we could trust and they hurt us or they betrayed us. Maybe there was one person that that we were leaning on and they didn't realize how much they meant to us and how much value and weight their words had until they spoke words that hurt us deeply. And I, I think for many of us right now, the hardest part of winning the battle in our minds is that we're trying to do that alone. Far too many of us are trying to fight our mental battles alone. And and like Tom Hanks, who's trying to go through an incredibly difficult season of adversity on that island, and even just having a, a volleyball that he can talk to like a person helps. For so many of us, we're trying to fight the battle between our ears, and it's harder because we're isolated and alone. You know, we've been in this series talking about renewing our minds for the last several weeks. The series is called Mastermind. And if you've missed any of the messages, we'd encourage you to go online to our website, prescottcornerstone.com slash sermons and get caught up. We talked about the the fact that the battle that we're facing is right here. It's it's in our minds. That's, That's where we're experiencing spiritual warfare. That's where we're experiencing the front line of the battle that we're in. And we've said that the scriptures teach us in 1 Corinthians 2 that, that we have the mind of Christ if we are a follower of Jesus, that we have access and we can activate the mind of Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. And last week we said that what we meditate on shapes our future. The things that we marinate our, our minds in begin to impact our entire lives. And then today we're going to talk about this word. This word together. If you're taking notes today or have a copy of the handout from our website where you downloaded it, here's the big idea for today. If we're going to win the battle in our minds, we're going to have to fight together. If we're going to win the battle in our minds, that's what we're talking about in this series, then we're going to have to fight together. Our tendency is to remove this word together and put the word alone. For many of us, we've been fighting the battle, but we've been fighting it alone. And if we're going to win it, we're going to have to fight it together. And today I want to share with you three reasons why we're going to have to fight together. 
And the first one of those comes in the book of Romans, where this series all started. So if you have your Bible, I'd encourage you to open up to Romans chapter 12. We were here the very first week because the theme verse for this series is in Romans 12. And we're heading back there today to look at something new, something different. If you're new to the Bible, that's awesome. I'm so glad you're with us today. Romans is in the section called the New Testament near the back of your Bible. So if you have a physical Bible, you're going to turn towards the back. If you have a digital Bible, you're going to scroll down to the bottom. And in between Acts and 1 Corinthians is the book of Romans. It's written by a guy named Paul to a group of people who are living in Rome, who are followers of Jesus And he's trying to help them understand how can they follow Jesus in the midst of the challenges they're facing. Here's what he says to begin Romans chapter 12. He says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. So what he's saying is this first week is that we are called not just one time, but again and again to surrender our lives in response to what God has done to us, to him. And so if you're a follower of Jesus in response to his death on the cross, he invites us He's inviting you and me to give our lives and entrust them to him. That is our true worship. Then he goes on. He says, don't be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, which is where our series theme comes from, so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. So this is what we've been talking about this whole series. But where where Paul goes next is so interesting. He says, for by the grace given to me, I tell everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he should think. Instead, think sensibly as God has distributed a measure of faith to each one. Now, as we have many parts in one body and all the parts do not have the same function, in the same way, we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. The first reason why we have to fight this battle in our minds together is that being transformed into Christ-likeness is connected to being in Christian community. If we're going to be transformed and not conformed by the renewing of our mind, that transformation is connected to being in Christian community. Now, I know there's been lots of conversation this year about time machines, you know? Could we go back in time and undo some things that we're now experiencing the consequences of today? But if if there was a time machine and we could go back even further than a few years ago, we could go back 2,000 years to the day and time in which these words were written by Paul in the first century in, in, uh, in the Mediterranean. And we were to meet the people there, you know, they would be blown away and they would think that the, the cell phones that we carry are somehow like sorcery or something, some sort of magic. But, but what they would be even more blown away by than our technology is the way that we seek to follow Jesus. If one of us said, yeah, I'm a follower of Jesus, but I don't need the church. I'm a follower of Jesus, but it's just me and Jesus. I'm a follower of Jesus, but I'm kind of just doing that thing by myself. They would look at us with their brain exploding saying, follow Jesus alone. 
Because when Paul writes these words, don't be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, his mind immediately goes to our life together. He begins to describe us using this analogy of the human body. And he goes on for verses after that. And I just want to remind you that Romans was written as a letter intended to be read in one sitting. All the verse and chapter markings that are in your Bible, either your physical one or your digital one, were added later by editors to try to help us navigate a book that's 12 or 1300 pages long. Paul, as soon as he started thinking about this battle that we're in to not be conformed, but to be transformed, he said, I need to remind them, I need to make sure that they know that they can't do that alone. And yet that is the the great battle that we face, that we try to become like Jesus, disconnected from Christian community. Here's how Larry Crabb describes this problem. He says, no lie is more often believed than the lie that we can know God without someone else knowing us. That's the lie that I know I've bought into so many times. And that's the lie that I think some of you have bought into as well. That you can know God, that you can become like Jesus, that you can follow Jesus and grow in your knowledge of him without someone else knowing us. And the reason that we so easily and quickly and deeply buy into this lie is the culture that we live in. Now, talking to you about the culture you've lived in your whole life is a little bit like trying to talk to a fish about water. It's hard. Because it's that unseen thing that you've never really thought about. It's just been your life from birth. But one of the things that's true about Western culture, about American culture, is that we love individualism. We love having our rights and our privileges and our freedoms and our liberties. And we don't like anybody telling us what we can't do individually. And so our culture is marked by rampant individualism in a way that does not reflect the culture and perspective that the people in the scripture are talking about. And I just want to encourage you that that you've been living in this culture your whole life, but everything about that culture doesn't reflect scripture. Everything about that culture is not godly. And the kind of individualism that we live with is incongruent with the biblical vision of community and life together. The individualism that our culture has embraced is is antithetical. It's against the picture of the body that Paul has in Romans chapter 12. And it's part of the reason why I believe that in 2020, we find ourselves so isolated and so lonely. I ran a study on my website a couple weeks ago, the people that I, I write to uh, each week, something that's totally separate from Cornerstone. And I ran a survey, and on that survey, I found that of the people who responded to that survey, 70% replied, I'm more lonely than I, now than I was a year ago. And I think we had a conversation even during, you know, ministry highlights about missing people. All of us are feeling this. And let's just talk about the, the elephant in the room. We're lonely, but 2020 isn't making it any easier. I'm talking about loneliness to an empty room. 
I'm talking about isolation and loneliness and community to a camera. And so 2020 doesn't make this easy. It makes it incredibly hard. But I just want to challenge you that the normal life that we have all talked about wanting to come back, that normal life also included loneliness too. Because even back then, we were lonely, but we avoided intimacy. If you can remember the days when we came to church in this place and we didn't wear masks and the room was full, how many times did you come in and avoid the deep conversations and stay in the shallow end? How many times when people asked you how you were doing, you just said, oh, I'm busy. Things are great. We're just really busy. You didn't really say how you were really doing. Even before all this happened, there were times and places where we avoided intimacy, where we avoided deep relationships. And so, yeah, we may be experiencing an unprecedented level of loneliness now, but let's not write a different history than the one we lived. We've been avoiding intimacy for a long time because we're lonely and we're afraid of intimacy. One of the reasons why so many of us try to follow Jesus by ourselves, one of the reasons why so many of us try to fight these mental battles by ourselves is that we're terrified of being known. Like Larry Crabb said, we want to know God without anybody knowing us because we know that if somebody really knew us, that would mean they would know us enough to hurt us. And if we can keep them at an arm's distance, then we can avoid that risk of pain. But if we avoid that risk of pain, we're also avoiding that very connection that we need to become like Jesus. And we need to know that because our enemy certainly does. We have an enemy and he wants us to stay isolated. Our spiritual enemy, Satan, is described in 1 Peter chapter 5 as being a roaring lion prowling around seeking for someone to devour. I'm not sure if you ever watched the Animal Planet channel or National Geographic, but I certainly have. And if you watch a show on lions, it will show you that lions hunt the weak and the isolated members of the herd. That when the herd is together, the herd is strong. But when the weak members fall to the back and get isolated, they're vulnerable and they get attacked. And some of us have felt under unprecedented attack in 2020. And that may be because we are experiencing unprecedented levels of isolation. And if our enemy can keep us isolated, he can attack us and keep us from becoming all that Christ intended for us to become. So I just want to encourage you today, becoming like Christ is connected to being in Christian community. Let's keep going. That's the first reason we got to do this together. Second reason is in Colossians chapter 3, another letter written by Paul in the New Testament. If you're in Romans, head towards the back. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, or chapter 3. Paul says, so if you've been raised with Christ, seek the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. 
second reason we have to do this together is that in order to develop a new mentality, we have to constantly be reminded of our new identity. In order to develop this new mentality we're developing in this series, we have to be constantly reminded of our new identity. When we read the New Testament, whenever we read the whole, anywhere in the scripture, because we live in a culture of individualism, we tend to read the Bible as individuals. And yet the idea of each of us having a Bible that we would read on our own, friends, is a new idea. For 2,000 years, people have been following Jesus, and for only a quarter of that have people in the West had a Bible in their own language. Many places in our world where the Bible's being translated, not everybody gets their own copy. Maybe there's one or two for a village or a tribe. And so as a result, in those places, they read the Bible as a big group, but we read it as individuals. And one of the things I think would be helpful for us in the West is to get a new version of the Bible. I think we should call it the New Southern Version. I've been trying this out with my friends from the South, including Pastor Clovis this week. And here's, if there was a New Southern Version of the Bible, here's how that passage from Colossians 3 would read. So if y'all have been raised with Christ... Seek the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set y'all's mind on things above, not earthly things. Now, I joke with with the y'all, but that's what the you is. The you is not singular. The you in Greek, as Paul wrote it, is plural. And so when he writes these words, he's writing to a church in Colossae and saying to all of you, so if all y'all have been raised with Christ, together seek the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set all y'all's minds on things above, not earthly things. This practice of embracing our new identity and adopting our new mentality is something that we have to do together. And what I've learned in life is that the way that we see the world is a reflection of who we're looking at it with. What we see is dependent on where we're standing and who we're standing with. Because the things that we focus on are often a reflection of our friendships. The way that you have perceived this year is in large part dependent on the voices that you value the most, that you listen to the most closely, that you respect and trust the most. And yeah, that may be some people in news or people in media or people on social media, but it's also the people that are in your life. And the way you see the world is a reflection of who you're looking at it with. And that's why it's so important that we do this together. And if in listening today, you're like, Scott, I, I, I get it. I hear what you're saying, but I don't have a whole lot of those people. I have good news for you and I have some hard news for you. The good news is, is that it's possible to build those kind of friendships because I have been where you are today, where I was isolated and lonely. Here's the hard news. You're not going to have those relationships fully built tomorrow or Tuesday or Wednesday. Friendships do not show up on our front doorstep like a package from Amazon Prime. Pick it out, click on it, put your credit card info, and it's there in 48 hours. 
No, every valuable relationship is a result of intentional effort. Intentional effort over time. And if you want your view, your mental perspective to be set on things above, to be aligned with who you are in Christ, then you need to put in the time and the blood and the sweat and the tears to develop a relationship like that. And yes, it's hard in 2020. And yes, there are some opportunities that aren't available for us right now. But Paul is describing this vision to a people who are being persecuted in ways we are not, who who are experiencing marginalization in ways that we are not yet. And he himself is writing these words from often prison cells. And so if he can call us to this from those places with those limitations, I think we can embrace it too. And these relationships are worth it for what they can mean for us. I can't tell you how many times in my own mental battles I have found myself beaten down, discouraged, and in places of despair. Embracing things and setting my minds on things that are not above, but earthly things. And there have been so many times where my mind was set where it didn't need to be. And somebody who through intentional effort Together, we developed a relationship, came alongside me and said, Scott, I know you. And this isn't who you are. Scott, I know you. And this attitude, this mindset, this perspective, this sense of defeat isn't who you are. Scott, I know you. And we've been through stuff together. And these things I hear you say, I know they're real for you. I know you feel them. But this isn't who you are. And in those moments... They lifted my gaze from down here to up there. They were the embodiment of the Holy Spirit, helping me, supporting me to win this battle in my mind. And I don't think that I'm any stronger than you are. And I don't think I'm any different than you are in the fact that we need each other. We need each other. Here's the last reason that I'm going to share with you today. It comes from Philippians chapter one. So it's just one book in front of Colossians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. If you're looking for something to read in the Bible right now, I would strongly encourage you to read Philippians. It is Paul's most hopeful book, and it's written from a very unlikely place for him to be hopeful. Philippians chapter one, this is what Paul says. He says, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually advanced the gospel. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and everyone else that my imprisonment is because I am in Christ. He's saying his imprisonment is actually advancing the gospel. Most of the brothers have gained confidence in the Lord from my imprisonment and dare even more to speak the word fearlessly. To be sure, some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. These preach out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The others claim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely thinking they will cause me trouble in my imprisonment. 
What does it matter though? Only that in every way, whether from false motives or true motives, Christ is proclaimed. And in this I rejoice, yes, and I will continue to rejoice because I know this will lead to my salvation through your prayers and help from the spirit of Jesus Christ. My eager expectation and hope is that I will not be ashamed about anything But now, as always, with all courage, Christ will be highly honored in my body, whether by life or by death. The third reason we have to do this together is that when things go badly, we need others to reframe our perspectives. All of us have moments where things go the way we didn't plan, where the wheels fall off or the plans go awry or everything seems to blow up in a giant dumpster fire. And we need people in those moments to reframe our perspectives. Paul describes the location where he is. He's writing from prison. He's writing about his eager expectation and hope from a place that one would think is the epitome of things going badly. And yet, when things are going badly, his perspective is not defined by where he is. He's in a dark pit. And yet, his view is not just defined by where he is, but on who his perspective is set on. And the question I have for you today is, so what's your view from the pit? the pit you find yourself in, what is your view from that place? I love what Beth Moore says about pits. She says, there are three kinds of pits. The pits we jump into, the pits we fall into, and the pits we're pushed into. Some of you this year, you ended up jumping into a dark pit because of the choices that you made. Others of you, you fell into it by by no fault of your own, And others of us were pushed into it seemingly by God or other people. And yet where we find ourselves is a difficult place. It's a dark place. It's a place where our perspective is so easily focused on things that don't give us life, that defeat us and have the potential to destroy us. And let me tell you what we don't need. If you're in a pit today or you know somebody who's in a pit today, Will you just do me one favor and promise me that you won't be like Job's friends in the Bible? See, Job's friends, they stood above Job where he was in his pit, having lost his family, lost his wealth, lost his health. And and they practiced sympathy. Sympathy is, I feel bad for you as I look down in the pit. Sympathy is, you know what? I see you down there and and I've got some ideas about how you got down there. I can tell you about them. (laughs) That's not helpful. What's helpful is empathy. Empathy is I love you enough to jump into the pit with you. See, when you're in a dark, difficult place and your mind is not set on things above, but earthly things, when you're being defeated by the destructive thoughts in your mind, you don't need somebody up above telling you how bad they feel for you and trying to explain how you got there. You need somebody who's in the pit with you. And sometimes even people in the pit with you who've walked through it and know how to get out. And I don't know about you, but if I'm in a pit, I want a friend like Paul who's going to point me to Jesus. I want a friend who's going to lovingly walk alongside me, 
and point me not to their own strengths, not to my own failures, but to Jesus. Because that's the only reason why Paul can write his most hopeful letter from one of his longest imprisonments. Not because Paul is a better, stronger, wiser person than you and I. It's because his eyes were set on Jesus. And I was thinking this week about some of the pits that I've found myself in. Pits like uh, self-pity. Pits like despair and discouragement. Pits like cynicism and betrayal. Pits like unforgiveness. uh, Pits like uh, being lied to and misled. And in those moments where I've been in those pits, I thought about the people who walked alongside me. Friends like Karen Yee and Maxie Birch, Jeff Jimerson and Ann McCulloch. Friends who jumped into the pit with me, who didn't explain it all away, who didn't cast themselves as the hero of my story, but who came into the pit and walked alongside me and pointed me to the one who could deliver me from my pit. And I think about their friendships in past seasons of my life, and it's impossible to tell the story of God delivering me from the pit without telling you how they pointed me to Jesus. They were like Paul to me. They lifted my eyes from earthly things and they helped me to set them on things above. And because of them, and because of God's grace, I wasn't conformed. I was transformed. And I am who I am today. So friends, if we're going to win this battle of our minds, we're going to have to fight together. It may be hard There may be discouraging days. There may be setbacks. There may be all the reasons in the world for us not to do it together, but we have to do it together. Wow. It's been an amazing four weeks of this Mastermind series, and this doesn't disappoint here uh, in week four. Uh, Obviously, you have next steps for us. What are they? Yeah, absolutely. So get three next steps for you. The first one is kind of a two-parter. It's kind of an option, 1A, 1B. So next step number one right here is identify someone you're going to ask for help today or reach out to someone and, quote, jump into their pit with him. And, and so I just would encourage you that if, if God's been moving in your heart today, one of the parts of growing in Christ-likeness is minimizing the gap between being convicted by the Holy Spirit to do something and then acting on that. The obedience gap in our life should be really small. And so if God's moving in your heart going, man, I am isolated, I am lonely, I need people, I am struggling, identify somebody you're going to ask for help and reach out today. Maybe you can't have the conversation today, but you could make a phone call, send an email, send a text and say, hey, I want to get together this week. Can we schedule some time this week? And then if you're on the opposite side and you know of somebody that you know is isolated or lonely, then the same thing reach out to them and say, hey, I'm here for you. Hey, I know you're going through something. I don't have all the answers, but I want to be in, in it with you. So that's, that's step number one. Number two is share the true nature of the battle to renew your mind. Part of that fear of intimacy I mentioned under point one is that we tend to stay in the shallow end and not totally share the struggle that we're going through. And for some of us, there's, there's real hurt and wounds in the past, and there's a reason for that. But in the same way... 
We talked a few weeks ago about praying specific prayers. Other people can't pray with specificity or encourage with empathy the battle they don't really know about. So I'd encourage you, share the true nature of the battle you're in to renew your mind. And that's a great segue into the third next step, which is to say the last 2%. Paul, I know in a lot of our relationships, even in some of our groups, even some of our marriages, there's that that 98% that we feel free to share, and then there's just that 2% we hold back. And that tends to be the things that we're afraid to say, we're scared to say, we're worried about how people respond to. But that last 2% is typically the good stuff. When I ask for feedback and people share, and they go, is there anything else? That tends to be the 2%. And that tends to be some of the best and the hardest stuff. And so if we're going to have real intimate friendships that help us win the battles in life, we're going to have to say not only the 98% that's easy to say, but the last 2% too. And so if there's somebody that you're trying to be intentional with and to build that relationship, don't just say the 98, say the 2% too. That's, those are all good, all great next steps. Uh, we have some other questions here that, uh, that people have uh, chimed in online. Thank you for with, sharing. And we do thank you for, for doing that. We love the feedback. Uh, why do I need to be in community and why do I have to be in relationships? Why can I just do it on my own? Well, one of the things I learned uh, a few years ago is there are between 50 and 60 one another commands in the New Testament from Jesus, other New Testament writers, Paul, Peter, John, James. And I can't love one another by myself. I can't serve one another by myself. I can't care for one another by myself. There's so much that we're called to as followers of Jesus that we can't do alone. And Jesus himself said, we're to love the Lord our God with our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength. And we're to love our neighbor as ourself. And so there's a picture throughout the New Testament uh, of people living in community, even Jesus after he goes out and he's tempted in the wilderness, before he even starts doing miracles or ministry, he starts calling disciples. He, he did life with other people. And so you're not better than Jesus. I'm not better than Jesus. So if, if Jesus needed people, we need people too. And there is no biblical vision for Christ-likeness apart from community. So if we could find it in the New Testament, I would certainly do it because it seems to me that in some ways it'd be easier. But that's just not an option that's left for us. Yeah. Uh, something that you that, that you were talking about during your your, your message time is uh, how is the process you describe different for introverts versus extroverts? It's a great question, and I think introverts have kind of gotten the uh, the butt of the joke. Paul, this year, people are like, "Hey, quarantine! Introverts rejoice!" You know, but I know so many introverts that have struggled. And my basic definition of introvert versus extrovert is where you get your energy. Introverts tend to get their energy from being alone extroverts tend to get their energy from people. But both of us need people. It's just how much people can I handle? And do I prefer people one-on-one or in big, large groups? And so I would say the process does look different if you're an introvert. You may not need as many people. And some of those intentional investments in relationships may be more taxing for you, but you still need those relationships. And I will say to the extroverts, I'm going to pick on you for a second because I am one. Just because you have a whole lot of friends doesn't mean anybody knows you. Just because you're with people all the time doesn't mean you're really going into the deep end. And for many of us who are extroverts, we have a lot of friendships, but they're about this thick. 
And sometimes our introvert friends model friendship better because they go deeper with fewer people, while some of us who are extroverted go thinner with a lot of people. And if, if the statement that I don't know who said it, so I'm not going to claim it as my own, is true, that we can only be loved to the extent we are known, some of us are missing out on the love that comes in friendships because we've got a lot of relationships that are an inch deep. So it does look different for people who are introverts and extroverts, but just because you're an introvert doesn't mean you need people. Mm -hmm. It just may mean that you need to figure out what are the environments you can handle people in and into what depth and time mm -hmm. without being drained. We, we also know that it's way easier for women to connect with, with other women. How do men connect with men? So a lot of times I think that the things that um, women gravitate to, which are just conversations around a table talking, men don't. Um, and so for men, it may mean that you need to do something physically together. I know you like to go riding your motorcycle. Uh, for me last week, it was paddle boarding with a friend. It may be hiking with a friend. I know hunting season just opened. I helped my neighbor print off his hunting license on Friday so he could take his son out hunting. So I know for some of you, it's getting out in nature and doing physical things. Uh, there's actually some research that indicates when men and women enter a crisis moment, women are more quickly to respond by turning to other people than men are. But let me just tell you, men, you need people too. Yes. In 2015, there was a study that was done about suicide in America. And what the study found is that the demographic that had the highest rate of suicide and climbing was white men in their 40s and 50s. And the main reason that study indicated the reason for that was isolation and loneliness. You may have hit a point in your career where you've made it and are successful, but you may be battling these things in your mind because you're isolated and lonely. Mm -hmm. It is hard. Sometimes it requires you to do relationships differently than women do, but you need people too, and the stakes are higher than you realize. Yes. Yeah, that's oh so good. Um, here's another question. I've been deeply wounded in the context of the church. Uh, I hear what you're saying about community, but I'm scared of it happening again. What, what do I do in a, in a situation like that? Well, that's real. And I mentioned that. I think some of us are afraid of intimacy because of past experience. And, and one of the things I, I would encourage you with is on our resource page, prescottcornerstone.com slash mastermind. It might be the kind of thing that the hurt you've experienced uh, may require you to get some professional help. It might be good to meet with a counselor. We have a list on our mastermind resource page of some Christian counselors, some of whom who were up here a few weeks ago last month when we did our panel. And so I know for me, I was deeply wounded in the context of the church before I came to Prescott. And part of the reason I went to counseling almost three years ago was to deal with those wounds so that you didn't have to pay the price for them. But I will just tell you that that work is hard and it's not easy but it's worth it. And if you're struggling with, I, I've been hurt in the past, how do I trust in the present? I would just encourage you to take it a piece at a time. You don't need to go from where you are to bearing your soul to somebody, but just make an intentional first step. Maybe it's going, I'm going to try to develop a relationship with this person. Or maybe it's, I'm going to share this one piece of, of my story that is maybe less vulnerable. Mm -hmm. But I will tell you that those relationships that are intentional, are built over time. There is effort, but eventually there's vulnerability. And somewhere down the way, you're going to have to rumble with vulnerability and fear and courage to develop a new relationship, but you may need some help doing the work on the stuff in the past that's holding you back. 
That's all good stuff. Scott, we want to say thank you for your diligent study in the scriptures and bringing them before uh, your community here at Cornerstone week after week. Uh, do you have anything else that you want to f- close us off, off with today? I do. It's something really exciting. So uh, when I, I decided I wanted to do this series, there was somebody I reached out to and I said, hey, this is a long shot, but this person has an incredible story of overcoming their own battles with depression, anxiety, panic, some of the things we've discussed in this series, and they've already made a huge impact on our church, and they said yes to being here. So next Sunday, we're going to have a special guest to close out this series. Carlos Whitaker, author and speaker, is going to be our guest. He's actually flying in to speak here. He'll be speaking to the camera like me. We're going to have an interview. Carlos wrote a book called Kill the Spider. Mm. that inspired a series we did in 2019 that was our most watched series of the entire year last year. It was a life-changing, transforming, uh, you know, chain-breaking for people. It led to a ton of freedom. And Carlos's most recent book called Enter Wild is about how he battled these things, these things in his mind and how God led him into freedom. And he's going to be coming to share his story. You'll have a chance to text in questions like this too. And so I'm super excited for Carlos to be our guest next Sunday at 9 and 11. It's going to be a must see must be here day and our people cornerstone people you are our strongest people that can advertise this for us yeah so in your circle in your groups in your circle of friends uh communicate that this is this author is going to be with us in at nine o'clock and 11 it's going to be amazing yeah so maybe maybe you host a, a watch party with your neighbors maybe uh, you get people together in your community group uh if you're traveling tune in from wherever you are it's the beauty of having stuff online but i'm um, just praying for god to do something special next sunday as we conclude this series so Thanks, Paul. You're welcome. Good to be here. Thanks, guys. We'll see you next week.